Welcome to Nesta's Future Curious podcast with me, Nigel Campbell. Together, we aim to stimulate the parts other podcasts can't reach with ideas, provocations and glimpses into our future and explore how we can shift whole systems in a new direction and maybe shape brilliant ideas into practical solutions. In this episode, we're looking at the future of our cities and in particular, their lifeblood, transport. These days, drones and other tech like self-driving vehicles are set to have as big an impact as the internal combustion engine. So what are the pros and cons of this new tech and how do we prepare for that and what lessons can we learn from the past? Well, joining me to discuss this is Cathy Nostein, uh, lead of the Future Cities at Nesta's Challenge Prize Centre and Mark Westwood from the Transport Systems Catapult, the UK's agency for looking into the future of intelligent mobility. Welcome both of you to the podcast. Great. Thanks for having us. So, Thank you very much. Let's just, first of all, I guess, get a sense of how you guys think our cities could be changing in the next couple of decades as the result of all of this tech, the drones and the autonomous vehicles and that sort of thing. In the cities team at the Challenge Prize Centre at Nesta, we tend to focus on place-based innovation and powering cities to shape their futures um, and looking at what's happening with emerging technology, how those could be leveraged in ways to benefit cities and the people who live in them um, to create great places to live and work. Um, we've all seen a number of trends recently around how more than 50% of the world is now living in urban areas. We've seen the challenges that come with that in terms of congestion and climate change, rising inequalities among income groups. Um, we've also seen the opportunities that new technologies can bring, um, such as connected and autonomous vehicles, smart cities infrastructure, AI, mobility as a service, all these kinds of um, exciting innovations that could help to create more inclusive places, more inclusive economies, um, and, and improve how our cities function. Um, we've also seen this trend of cities kind of taking more control over local decision-making and being empowered to decide their futures. So I think this is an interesting intersection to empower cities to leverage technology in a way that's, that's beneficial for, for people and for our futures. Are we at an exciting moment right now, Mark? I, I personally believe this is one of the most exciting times for for transport over the last few decades. And I think really when you, you consider that transport hasn't changed drastically, perhaps since, um, since as you referred to earlier, the, the invention of the internal combustion engine and cars have stayed largely the same since then. Um, now we're on the cusp of some real technology change around things like electric electric drive technology and autonomy and AI. Um, these things can fundamentally change the, the modes of transport that are ex- available to us. Um, and in terms of the impact on cities, well, you know, how many cities are there that are really designed around a car? Um, and if we have new possibilities for how we can how we can travel within cities, then maybe that's uh, an excellent route for making cities a much nicer place to live in and to make better use of our time. I guess um, there are two ways of looking at it. In my mind's eye, when I, I think about these things, I either think of some lovely uh, utopian vision where everyone is is happy and no one's in a queue and everyone arrives at work all, all, all uh, calm and, and collected and, and, and happy, uh, and then a kind of dystopian future where it's a bit a bit like a cross between Blade Runner and Back to the Future, and uh, you know it, it's terrifying. Um, I know that's kind of like a weird scale, but um, what do you, what, what 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 could a picture of our cities be like in, say, 
2040 or some somewhere like that. Is it going to be a bit like those those sci-fi movies? I think it could go a couple different directions. And that's, you know, one of our interests in this is in trying to shape cities in a way that is in line with what the public wants to see happen, because there certainly are quite a few risks around autonomous technologies, uh, the dangers that they could pose if things go wrong. There's liabilities issues involved. There's safety, security, there's privacy issues that, that people are legitimately concerned about. Um, and I think that 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 we in general and, and city leaders and government and regulators and, and people who have an interest in the future all need to come together to sort of make those decisions to decide what type of future we want to have and how to develop the technology, but as well as the policy and regulatory decisions that can safeguard against some of some of the risks that could come, um, and some of the more dystopian versions of a future. Yeah, that's, that's certainly something that I would uh, very much agree with. Uh, I think one of the things we've got to deal with is that some of these technology changes are happening really quite fast, um, and it will be very difficult to put them back in a box. Um, and we've seen that recently, obviously, with some of the misuse of drone technology, where um, the technology is capable of doing things that, ne- that can't necessarily uh, control in a way that we would wish to. And maybe another good example is when we look at what's happening with things like electric scooters at the moment on a, on a sort of global scale, where suddenly the advances in battery and motor technology make that a really great way to get around. Um, but if there's not some real foresight around the sort of regulatory framework and, and how cities wish to embrace that technology, you can get some unintended consequences around, you know, for example, uh, visiting Paris recently and you know, scooters lying around all over, all, all over the place. Um, and clearly that, that's an example of uh, technology finding its own route into the world. And maybe you know, the opportunity here is for us to, to take some foresight into what we wish that future to be. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, th- this kind of topic area is littered histor- historically with uh, some really famous cases of, um, you know, and images of where uh, a new technology like the combustion engine came in and first of all it was highly regulated so you had to walk in front of it with a red flag at three miles an hour and then you know there were moments when uh, people were you know pedestrians were were injured or killed and and that was a, a moment when everything changed uh, what 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 do you think we can learn from uh, the the past to inform um the future in that way in terms of things like how we anticipate how we regulate how we uh, embrace and indeed how we don't get overtaken by these technologies so that we're always playing catch up and you know we 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 learn about you know we've all seen some of the horrendous uh design uh, errors uh of sort of ring roads and things around um our, our our cities and all those kinds of things it's a fascinating area isn't it yeah and and as you say there's some good examples of how that that's um not gone so so well in the past i think it's all about um making sure that we we do imagine what those futures are going to look like because Often, when these when these fundamental changes uh, happen, they seem to take quite a quite a while to get going, but then can very quickly um, change the transport landscape. And I think the introduction of the um, of a car was very much like that, uh, where it took took a, a reasonable amount of time to become uh, commonplace, but all of a sudden wiped out horse-drawn carriages, for example, in a very short period of time. Um, so. It's about being on on the forefront um, and making sure that we do have things like progressive regulation that can both both take into account how we think the technology might be used, but also is is flexible. 
um, and in an increasing digital world, rather than one that's dominated by physical infrastructure, then you know, the digital world can be reshaped more rapidly. And I think that, that's an interesting thought to have for the future. Cathy, um, Mark there mentioned um, about th- th- that incident at Gatwick, and that brought up some pretty fundamental questions, didn't it, about um, who owns and regulates and controls the space above our heads. Um, and I was kind kind of surprised to learn that it's not all regulated. Can you just tell us a bit more about th- those layers of, of air above us and who owns and controls what? Yeah, it is a really interesting question. It's one that we've uncovered through working in this program and flying high the past couple of years is about this issue of low altitude urban airspace. And as these new types of technologies, drones or unmanned you know, autonomous vehicles are introduced to the to the airways um, or to the skies, I should say, that the sort of traditional aerospace sector and the Civil Aviation Authority, which does regulate the sector, you know, traditionally operates at, you know, 30, 40,000 feet where commercial island airliners activities take place. And that what happens in a, at the lower levels in a city, more closer down to, to buildings and to uh, people and to the ground infrastructure, as drones could be doing more so in the future, it, it brings in a, a number of other players who maybe traditionally wouldn't have been involved. So you've certainly got the CAA involvement still. But then, say, for example, working with the city and working with the mayor's office, local government, the local authority, the transport regulator, that you know, TFL for London, would have a stake and would have some would have some interest and would also have some resources to bring to the table as far as making those decisions about what the policy and what the regulatory landscape should look like in cities when you're looking at that that layer of, of airspace that is much more intimately with the with the existing built environment. So that's what we found is we're really interested about this this sector. Kind of urban air mobility is often how it's termed, which usually refers to air taxis, but can refer to um, more broadly to the use of drones to perform services or to deliver act as you know uh, deliver parcels or items for biotransport, is that this sector um, brings together all these kind of non-traditional players, including um, people who live in cities, the public, as well as potential end users of different types of services. So that widens the sphere to be much broader than the traditional, perhaps, scope of the CAA and what we generally think of as aviation. So buzzword antennae twinging here in the, in, in the studio. You said air taxis. Mm-hmm. That sounds like very futuristic to me. Uh, are they a th- are they a thing? Are they going to be a thing? It is a thing, and there um, there's quite a few companies that are uh, quite seriously investing in development of prototypes and of trialing services. Um, that it's it's really something that everyone from small SMEs, uh, many located in Silicon Valley, but are located worldwide, as well as larger traditional aerospace companies working on developing, for lack of a better term, people carrying drones or autonomous, um, remotely piloted or and ultimately with, without a pilot, basically, to uh, carry people short distances via a, what's often called a VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing electric vehicle, um, which could completely transform, certainly, how people get around and how our cities look and what um, what transport looks like. Gosh, yeah. Is that something you're looking into as well, Mark, at the Transport Systems Catapult? Yeah, it's certainly something that um, we're taking quite a keen interest in. So in our, our role is to help the help UK um, industry exploit new opportunities in transport. And urban air mobility is is a very, very interesting area at the moment, both 
the kinds of platforms that that Cathy describes, the vertical takeoff, um, sort of short range vehicles, but also um, concepts around what's what's called sub-regional aircraft that that are um, electric powered and suitable for for short hops as a, as a sort of new alternative form of transport. And the UK uh, has all the academic and industrial capability uh, to make a success of these platforms. And you know, UK aerospace industry is the the second strongest uh, globally. Um, so certainly, I think that's a, a very interesting, exciting possibility. And as Cathy said, from a technology perspective, these things are, are rapidly becoming uh, a possibility. Um, clearly, there's a lot of work to to make them commercially viable, but um, you, know, you can't put these things back in a box. And as you say, you know, these technologies uh, grow incrementally, and then suddenly there's a there's a big step up and 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 and, and a, a tipping point. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, first of all, though, let's talk about the flying high challenge, Cathy, because this is what Nest has been involved with, with cities around the UK, I understand, to f- find out what these different players need and want from drones. That's right. Yeah. And and we actually got involved in it because of this emerging field of air taxis or um, people carrying drones. And when we initially started working on that project about two years ago, we were having conversations with cities all over the world to kind of um, introduce the idea, investigate reactions, learn about how cities could be planning for this technology. And what we learned was that, first of all, um, cities that we spoke with really didn't have that on their radar whatsoever, like hadn't heard of it, weren't planning for it. And not only that, were um, also not really very highly aware of the emerging technology of drones, which is a much more near-term technology, which has much stronger business cases, which is just a, a further mature and the opportunities that drones could do to perform all these services in cities from inspecting bridges and transport infrastructure to carrying items, delivering parcels, um, supporting emergency and police and fire services. So we thought that that was an interesting concept to explore further, to work with cities to explore if and how they would want to see drones performing these types of services in their communities, since it is it is quite near term. The technology exists. I mean, it's been in the military sphere for quite a while, but we've been seeing um, seeing it expand much more into civil applications and much more initially in more remote rural areas for agricultural kind of applications or offshore drilling or that kind of thing. But given that um, there is quite a commercial case for how these services could be more useful in cities, um, and given that uh, some of our research found that there's over 700 SMEs and startups just in the UK that are involved in drone technology development or supporting enabling technology required, you know, the sensors and the AI systems and things needed to support them, we thought the time was right to work with cities here in the UK to analyze if and how they would want to see drones perform these services, what would be the highest priorities, what would be concerns, what would be... Um, ways to to plan for this and how, how to put cities really on the front foot on the, around this technology. And so we launched a competition where we invited cities across the UK to partner with us to, um, to, to, to explore all this. And we got quite a few, quite a bit of interest. Um, over 30 cities applied. We ended up, because of the constraints in our capacity, we can only work with some. So we worked with five cities initially um, for the first half of 2018 in the first phase of Flying High to explore both if they would want to see drones perform services, what would be the most useful things? Uh, what we found from that was that 
you know, cities, unsurprisingly, uh, were largely pragmatic. While everyone had heard the headlines about large companies like Amazon trialing out parcel delivery or the, or the people carrying drone kind of concepts, at the end of the day, the cities that we worked with were mostly interested in things like supporting the emergency uh, police and fire services and responding to incidents, capturing information, and setting it back um, to better deploy resources more quickly. Um, doing things like uh, supporting infrastructure development and medical transport, delivering um, uh, specimens or blood, lab samples, even equipment possibly, you know, between hospitals. And so those are some of the use cases that we explored. In phase one, we looked at the technical feasibility of one use case in each city in, the, in those categories I just described and also estimated what the economic and social impact would be of those use cases. And through that process, we felt that one of the most uh, valuable outcomes of that was being able to convene a number of partners from government, from the CAA, from academia, from industry, from cities, from the public. Um, given that we're Nesta and that we're a charity, we don't have a commercial interest in, in pushing drones, but we're interested in exploring these issues and bringing together all these stakeholders, especially I was describing the non-traditional stakeholders who maybe wouldn't have been thought there was a place for them in, in discussing these kind of issues in the past, but clearly there is. So we felt that by being able to bring all these groups together, we were able to make some, some real headway. And um, we're just kicking off the second phase of the project now, which is looking more broadly at use case scenarios for what would be effective models of service delivery in the business case for, um, for medical transport, emergency response, and for infrastructure inspection and maintenance and development, and also designing what kind of testing environments would be needed to actually bring these to life, ultimately to do trials in real cities in the UK. So is this, a, 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 in a way, learning from the mistakes of the past when we've had major advances in, in technology, transport technologies, and actually think, actually, we need to bring all of these folks together in order to make some properly thought out uh, decisions about uh, how we plan our cities, how we plan the rules, the the, the 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 transport highways, those sorts of things. Exactly. Yeah, that is right at the heart of our approach is around bringing everyone together so that it's not kind of a tech led or industry led kind of proposition. Um, uh, one of the important components of that, uh, something that we term anticipatory regulation around working with regulators, so in this case it would be with the CAA, but applies to a number of other industries too, around working with a regulator and developing, as I said, sort of testing environments or test beds or sandboxes in a way that brings industry together with potential users, with potential you know, sites, if it's a place-based sort of project like this, of uh, creating the opportunity to explore what the technology could bring, what kind of regulatory changes might be needed to enable that, but how the the two can kind of work together in this kind of living lab kind of co-creation atmosphere um, of bringing together industry with cities, with end users, with the regulator, with policymakers. I like the idea of a living lab. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Uh, some of the implications for introducing drones into London has been a, a topic of really fevered discussion. And earlier I spoke to Gareth Sumner from Transport for London and asked him what people in the capital feel about a drone future. The concerns people have about drones are first and foremost, safety and security. The fact that if things are flying through the sky in London, they could 
can fall out of the sky. TFL will always address that first. But there are other genuine concerns people have got as well. The noise impact of drones, the visual impact of drones flying through the sky, privacy implications of a drone with a camera on it flying past your bedroom window. And people have got some real genuine concerns about those things and we've got to work out how we can mitigate them. But then focusing more kind of positively on the opportunities, the kind of use cases that we're really interested in are the use cases which can provide benefit for the most number of people. So, for example, the emergency services using drones to get to an incident first before even paramedics or fire brigade can get to an incident and send information back to the control centre. Using drones to deliver things like defibrillators to people who have had heart attacks before paramedics can get there. Using drones to deliver blood samples between hospitals in much quicker, more reliable ways than can currently be done on the road. And there's a real opportunity to use drones to make construction sites safer and to take employees and staff out of dangerous situations. So if you can imagine people abseiling down the side of a building at the moment to clean the windows not the safest way of doing a relatively mundane task, but in the future we think drones may be able to provide new ways of doing that, that meaning people don't have to go into those dangerous situations. TfL used drones in 2016 when we were constructing the Elizabeth Line crossrail tunnels to fly drones through the tunnels to inspect them as they're being constructed to make sure there were no defects and to make sure there were no health and safety issues. And there were more and more opportunities presenting themselves. The construction industry are really excited about the way they could use drones inspecting things like bridge structures. And TfL and other organisations are starting to look at the opportunities in that area. But even some of the use cases which perhaps feel slightly more sci-fi, like delivering blood samples between hospitals, that has already been done in Swiss cities, between Swiss hospitals. So although some of these use cases seem far away, and equally there are lots of challenges we've got to get over to make them happen, there are parts of the world where these have been put to action today, which is quite exciting, really, and quite inspiring, I think. Traditionally, aviation and things flying in the sky, as in planes, have only touched down in cities in a few places at airports. And they've had an impact there, but it's been in a relatively small amount of places. When you think about what the future might bring in terms of delivery drones and even one day drones carrying passengers, there's a potential scenario where almost the whole city might become an airport to a certain extent, where you've got delivery drones landing on lots of different buildings and you've got potentially passenger drones landing in lots of different buildings as well. And if that's going to happen in a way that is right and appropriate for the city, and in a way that integrates with the kind of things that TfL spend most of its time doing at the moment, i.e. running the bus network, running the tube network, etc., we have to think really hard about where we think they should be landing and how they integrate into the city. And that can be as simple as thinking about making sure that they land in places which don't create congestion on the roads as a result, but making sure they kind of integrate into existing transport systems. But it's also thinking about the buildings themselves, because most buildings are designed currently to take goods uh, and deliveries in on the ground floor or the basement. They're not designed to take items in from the roof. And if organisations are going to make the most of the opportunity of things like delivery drones, then they might have to think about redesigning those buildings. And there's a really big conversation that needs to be had with the public and with the planning authorities and with the Civil Aviation Authority about how we make sure the approach to regulation and the kind of policy which is developed enables this kind of technology to have a net positive impact on the city because there's lots of ways it could potentially be negative. But particularly for TfL, we need to understand how we can shape 
what happens in the air because currently TfL look after things on the ground, not things on the air. And we need to understand how we can shape planning policy, how we can work with Civil Aviation Authority and other organisations to make sure that we can have a really kind of strong say in what happens in the airspace to make sure that Londoners benefit from what's happening rather than just kind of experiencing potentially negative consequences. Gareth Sumner from uh, Transport for London there. Really interesting uh, issues there. I mean, I hadn't even really thought about it, but you know, what do you do these days if someone is flying a camera-laden drone across your garden or what have you? I mean, who do you go to? It was quite interesting, the whole thing with Gatwick, where actually the, the police were pointing at the CAA and the CAA were pointing at the airport and they, it, everyone was pointing at each other going, who sorts this out? It's quite, it's, it's still not, there's a lot of confusion there, isn't there? You can see that there's a lot of work to do. Well, I think this is um, and it's a very interesting area, and this is really wrapped up in uh, a concept called uh, UAV traffic management, or UTM, uh, is the, the sort of the global term for it. Um, and this is all around really trying to put in place the kind of operational infrastructure, the framework that that allows you to safely manage large numbers of, of platforms, and to have a way of trying to enforce the rules that already exist and. You know, the examples uh, recently of, of drone misuse have, have all been ones where clearly a law has been broken, but it's not it's not easy to identify uh, the lawbreaker or who it is that is responsible for actually taking an action. So, so UTM is a really core uh, piece of the framework for enabling safe and responsible use of, of drones. Uh, something that that um, uh, the UK is moving moving ahead with. So how long do we think we've got to sort all this out before the commercial pressures start sending uh, delivery drones uh, over over our cities uh, in an unregulated way? Could Is that a nightmare scenario or what's, what's your vision of the future? Are you optimistic about how we're actually going to get to grips with this and actually it's going to work for us, uh, Cathy? Yeah, I think we've got to act quickly because the as we've said, the technology is already there. Um, and it's already happening in other countries. Uh, the UK is starting to lose footing. Um, the US has moved forward with doing more trials, with reforming their rules and regulations, with creating opportunities to do test beds. They just announced the other day doing test beds in, in urban cities, exactly what we're talking about doing. Um, and then the likes of Singapore, China, Dubai, Australia, and then even closer closer to home, um, Gareth referenced the, the trials that are happening in Switzerland, there's trials happening in Germany and the Netherlands. And so it is imminent. Industry um, has the technology there. There are clear commercial cases. The business cases do need to be further developed in, um, in, in more nuanced ways. But uh, we think that the time is right to get ahead of this before, um, A, before the UK starts to lose footing, and B, before um, the uh, commercial interests start to really sort of take over. Um, the CA does have, um, have, have quite powerful regulations now um, that require companies to put forward a pretty clear safety case if they want to go around the existing regulations. And the CAA does have a really good opportunity right now with a new program that they're running through the Regulatory Pioneers Fund to um, develop innovation test beds and to look at new ways of managing um, emerging technologies. So that's a really exciting prospect, I think, that we have and that we should leverage and build on. Wow. Mark, if you were a betting man, um, what what would be the year that you would bet on that we'll start to see some of these services happening in the skies above us with drones and stuff? Um, well, the, I mean, the reality is that we're already seeing um, 
commercial drone services in the, in, in the skies above us. Um, the question really is around how fast they, um, you know, the, the scale at which they grow at. Uh, and one of the key things here is um, being able to allow drones to operate in what's called beyond visual line of sight mode. Um, and as Cathy says, the CAA has actually got a very robust set of regulations for managing drone use. It's, most of those cases are what's called visual line of sight and uh, where the, the operator must be able to see the platform. Um, and that, that, that limits the scale of operation. Um, all the work, um, a lot of the research now is, is looking at um, building safety cases around beyond visual line of sight. And, you know, Transport Systems Catapult is, is one of a number of organizations that's um, carrying out uh, experimentation and trials in that area right now. And I, I think it's, it's going to be a small number of years before that becomes routine. Um, um, and it will scale up from there. Wow. Who, who knows? You know, in 10, 15 years' time, I might be journeying to the studio to do the 21st series of uh, the Nesta podcast in my own personal drone. Wouldn't that be exciting and maybe somewhat terrifying? Uh, it's a really exciting future, and I, I'd look forward to us doing more on this um, as we see some more developments. So thank you. Meanwhile, Cathy Nostine, uh, lead of Future Cities at Nesta, uh, and Mark Westwood from the Transport Systems Catapult for joining us today. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to Future Curious. If you liked what you heard, please do share the podcast and rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us grow our audience. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or visit nesta.org.uk forward slash futurecurious to find out more and check out the other episodes in the series. Thank you and stay curious. Future Curious is a Chalk and Blade production. The producers were Ruth Barnes, Laura Sheeter, and Lily Ames. Original music is by Jed Flood. 